Well, good morning. This morning we are in the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 27. During the summer, it's, we didn't do this last summer, but in previous summers we have, we enjoy just going back through the Psalms. As Pastor Dan explained last Sunday, that it's like hooking us up to hooking up a dead car battery to a running car battery. It gives us juice, it gets us going, and it gives our hearts the words they need in times of suffering, in times of joy, and in times of just reflection upon who our God is. And so we are working through the Psalms. This morning we are in Psalm 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble." He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of God. This morning, I have a question for you. You don't have to answer out loud, and I think if you don't, you might answer more honestly. So I have a question for you. How do you react to suffering? That's the question. How do you react to adversity, to suffering? How do you react? What do you do? Where do you look for answers? What do you think the answer is? Ask yourself that question. Because I think, if we are honest, 
we look to ourselves first. And we panic. When suffering comes and when anxiety comes and, and adversity comes, we panic. We become overwhelmed. We become anxious. We, become, we wonder why this is happening. And then we start to look for answers. And where do we look for answers? Well, we look, in, look inside, right? Look inside of yourself. What have I done? What can I do? And if that's not the answer, we look to other sources that we think have security for us. We look to our family. We look to our friends. We look to our money. We look to our job. We look to politicians. And then when we consider what the answer might be, we start to think that it's simply different circumstances. That's got to be the answer. Things just need to change. Whatever I'm facing just needs to stop. And that's the answer. Relief of the pain, an end to the depression, an alleviation of the burden, maybe a passing of this busy season, vindication before others. These are the answers that we think solve our suffering naturally. But what we see in this psalm directly opposes those notions, those answers, that looking. In this psalm, David is in severe distress. He has distress externally. Look at verse 12. False witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. He has external threats. And then internally, verse 10, my father and my mother have forsaken me. He feels shame, abandonment, hurt. Yet, in these circumstances... His confidence is never swayed. He never loses hope. This psalm is a testimony that he didn't lose hope, that he didn't turn inward, and that he didn't lash out. He kept his eyes and his heart upon his one hope, the Lord. He remained confident and comforted. Despite every natural inclination, he says, wait for the Lord. He ends, wait for the Lord. And the good news is that all the people of God have the same confidence and the same comfort in Christ. We need it. <laughs> we need it. And we have it. We can wait for the Lord. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see what does that look like. If that's not what I naturally do, what's it look like? How do I do it? What we're going to see is how Psalm 27 reorients our hearts and how it shows us, actually it, in, it invites us to wait for the Lord. To do this, what we're going to do is we're going to break this psalm into three instructions. Three instructions that help us wait for the Lord. First, trust the protection of the Lord. Second, Desire the beauty of the Lord. And third, follow the way of the Lord. Trust the protection of the Lord. Desire the beauty of the Lord. And follow the way of the Lord. Just a little caveat. The first two will be a lot longer than the third one. So if we're like at 35 minutes, it's okay. I'm planning on that. I'm planning on that. We're not going to speed up at the end. So first, let's look at verses 1 to 3 and see how we wait for the Lord when we trust 
in the protection of the Lord. Look back at your Bibles while I read the verses again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So in these verses, David has an unshakable confidence. He cries out, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? My heart shall not fear. I will be confident. He's saying that there is nothing and no one that can take his confidence away. Even if evildoers who want to destroy him, that's what he means, eat up my flesh. Evildoers who want to destroy him or even if an army, an army encircle around him and make war against him, he will not fear. And don't think that David's being dramatic. David knows what these situations feel like. He was a boy who faced a giant with a sling. He was a man hunted by a king, a king usurped by his son. He speaks from experience. He knows what it feels like to have an army encircle him, to have a nation rise up against him, to feel hopeless. And he says that nothing, no fear or terror can shake his confidence. How? How can he be so resolute? Well, the answer is that he has confidence not in himself, but is built upon trust in the Lord. Look at verse one. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. These are the descriptions that he gives to the Lord. His confidence is rooted in protection from his Lord. Think of how he describes the Lord. My light, light is a source of protection. David, who's the shepherd king, shepherd warrior king, knows how important light is in the middle of the night. As a shepherd, he knows that light keeps away those who want to come and hurt and steal his flock. He knows as a warrior that light illuminates the darkness to see the encroaching enemy. He knows how light comforts you in the twilight of the night. I think of my own fear of the dark that I had when I was a kid, because I'm not scared of the dark now <laughs> at all. The more I say it, the more I believe it. I think of my own fear of the dark. I grew up, if you don't know, I grew up in rural Missouri. Sometimes I'm told I talk funny, I don't think I do. But I grew up in rural Missouri, and we had a barn up on the hill, about a couple hundred yards, maybe, maybe 200 yards up on the hill. And every night, in the fall and the winter, when the sun goes down really early and it gets dark early and I'm up in the barn cleaning out the stalls where there's lights in the barn, by the way. My, 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 my father is a kind man and put lights in the barn. So you get done cleaning the stalls, you turn the lights off, you step out of the barn and it is a mad dash to that house. 
Like you're running as fast, or as I was, running as fast as I could, praying that my feet stay in front of me so my heels aren't coming up over the back and I'm just rolling. But anyways, I'd probably be moving faster, so that'd be better. Nonetheless, I knew how much I wanted a light. I knew what a light meant to me in this darkness where I know there are mountain lions. No matter what Missouri Conservation says, I know mountain lions exist in Missouri. They're certainly bobcats. But I knew how badly I needed that light. And the light in the house drew me to it. It gave me hope and called me to it. I ran to it. The Lord is David's light. He's the one who keeps the predators at bay. He's the one who alerts of the coming enemy, who exposes what is true of the darkness around him, who is the glimmer of hope that he runs to in the valley of darkness. And the Lord is David's salvation and stronghold. I think these are very clear pictures of protection, right? Salvation, Isaiah uses this same word in Isaiah 17 when he says, for you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. You've forgotten your protection. You no longer have protection. Instead, you engage in the wickedness and you've forgotten your salvation, your protection. And the idea of the Lord as a stronghold is all over the poets and the prophets. My favorite being Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. He is protection for all who come to him. There is no doubt, no cracks in the foundation of David's confidence in his protection because it's built upon the Lord who is his light, his salvation, and his stronghold. He knows that his circumstances have no effect on his safety. And Christian, neither do yours. Your circumstances do not affect the safety you have in the Lord. The world may tell you otherwise. Your own mind may try to convince you otherwise. But Christian, God has already preserved you from what is your greatest fear and the greatest danger. And that is a life in the darkness with a mind blinded to the glory of God by your sin, heading to the destruction that awaits. Instead, he has given you the light, the light of life, shining into your dark, darkened mind, showing you the glory and salvation available in Christ. He has given you a stronghold in the one who did live how you don't and did die for what you deserve and did rise, overcoming all that you cannot sin, death, and Satan. He has given you the light, salvation, and stronghold that you need for life in all circumstances in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting at in Romans 8. Romans 8, one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament, personal opinion. Paul explains the concrete nature of our salvation, stating that it's, it's already completed. It's over. He says, you have been predestined. I agree with that, okay? You have been called. Okay, that makes sense. You have been justified. Okay, I can see how that's done. You have been glorified. 
I don't know about that one, Paul. That seems like a future thing. No, he's saying it's so sure in Christ because of his resurrection that it cannot and will not ever be taken from you. You are safe in your stronghold in Christ. That's why then he says, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or whatever circumstance you face, will that separate you from the love of Christ? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Christ, you have the stronghold, the light, the salvation, and the stronghold that your heart so desperately needs. You have confidence and comfort in every circumstance because of Christ your Lord. He has effectively nullified all fear for his people because he has taken away and overcome the greatest fear of all man. That is punishment for the sin that we deserve. So Christian, is that where your trust lies? Is the Lord your stronghold? Or are you building and sitting in and residing in a fake stronghold that you think is better? And I don't just mean is he your stronghold in the good days. Don't always need a stronghold on a good day. Usually you can go outside of the stronghold and enjoy the scenery on the bad days. When things are hard, when you face pain and suffering, when a loved one dies, when your finances are gone, when your child hurts you and runs from you and runs from the Lord, when you're betrayed, when you lose all your friends, in those times, is the Lord your stronghold? Do you rest in knowing that he has me, he holds me, he knows me, and he'll never let me go? You can. We can say what is real, so don't think it's a, a blind I'm all good, there's no circumstances. No, we can cry out, this hurts. We can acknowledge things that we fear. Psalm 27 does. But it's what we trust in the midst of our fears that changes everything. It's remembering my Lord is my light, my salvation, and my stronghold. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. It's remembering these truths, standing on this solid foundation we have in the gospel. It's remembering the words, Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. That's our foundation that we stand on in all circumstances that gives us confidence and hope, remembering that Christ has overcome. He is our stronghold. And real quick, notice, friends, the psalm doesn't say that the Lord is a light. 
It doesn't say he's a salvation, a stronghold. David says he's my light. He's my salvation. This means that to trust in the Lord is not to know of him, but to find no other refuge than in him. That's what it means. You must know the Lord as yours, not your spouse's God, not your spouse's salvation, not your parents' salvation. He must be yours. You must cling to him and to be his, and for him to be yours, you must know the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must have faith in Christ's life for our good his death for the payment of our sin, and his resurrection as our only hope in overcoming all things. We must look to him as your stronghold to have this confidence that Psalm 27 speaks of here. So come to Jesus, the stronghold, the overcomer, the light to the darkness, the one salvation. Friends, as we wait for the Lord, we don't trust in ourselves We don't trust in material possessions, finances, family, national security, whatever else we think provides security. Friends, as we wait on the Lord, what we do is we trust in our light, the one who exposes the darkness around us and has overcome the darkness. We trust in our salvation, the one whose blood has atoned for all of our sins. And we trust in our stronghold, the one whose kingdom started as a mustard seed but has grown to the mightiest and strongest of all trees for all to find refuge in the shade of his branches. That's what we trust in. As we wait for the Lord in our circumstances, that is what we trust in. Okay, so one way to help us wait for the Lord is to trust in the protection of the Lord, first point. Second, in verses four to 10, what we see is that our next instruction to help us wait for the Lord is to desire the beauty of the Lord. Desire the beauty of the Lord. First, note in these verses that we see a glimpse, just a glimpse, into David's situation. Verse 6, he says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. So he doesn't have a lot of friends right now. He's surrounded with enemies. Then in verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. We don't actually have an account of that happening, but we do see it here. So clearly he's being encroached upon enemies and he's abandoned. He is alone and forsaken, surrounded by those who want to harm him. Those are his circumstances. Let's keep that in the front of your mind as we read the rest of this psalm. That's what he faces. So surrounded by enemies, forsaken by loved ones, what is David's one desire? What's the one thing he wants? What does he think is the answer to the circumstances he is in? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Talk about an unexpected desire to read. That is not where we thought this was gonna go. He has enemies all around him, He's clearly in distress, and and yet he wants the presence of the Lord. He doesn't want temporal relief. He doesn't want different circumstances. He doesn't want vengeance. He wants 
the Lord. Now, friends, let's pause for a second. Imagine you, ladies, were Esther or gentlemen or Solomon. We have one, one character for each in this situation. Imagine you were Esther, and the king of Persia says, you can have anything in my kingdom up to half because there has to be a limit. He has to have over 50%. Like it's just it's pro- proprietary rights. You can have up to half of anything in my kingdom. What would you ask for? Or gentlemen, if you were Solomon, who doing a bad thing, going on a high place to make a sacrifice, but goes up, makes a sacrifice, goes to sleep, and the Lord comes and says, ask of me, what shall I give to you? What would you ask for? What's the one desire that we think we need the most? What would we ask for if we were asked, ask what I should give to you by the Lord? What would you ask for? Would you ask for comfort, peace at work, to marry a specific person? Would you ask for children, for health, for a new job, financial security, specific outcome in an election, for power, for people to listen to you, for people to respect you? What would you ask for? David knows exactly what he would ask for. He would ask for the one thing his heart wants, the Lord. And he would ask for the Lord so that, look at the last two lines of verse 4, so that he can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire, better word would be meditate, to ponder, to reflect in his temple. He wants to sit in the presence and ponder the beauty of the Lord. That's what he wants. Above all things, in all situations, that's what he wants. David wants the Lord and to be in his presence because there is no one, nowhere, and nothing more grand, more beautiful, more awe-inspiring, more satisfying, more life-giving than God himself. That is who he is. Look at how David describes being in the presence of the Lord is like. Verse 5, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. It's in the house of the Lord that David says, I will be hid in the day of trouble. I will be concealed from my enemies. I'll be lifted up. I'll be put in a safe place where no one and nothing can harm me or take me away. That is the safest place, is the place before the Lord. Verse 10, he goes on. He says, my, his problem, for my father and mother have forsaken me. But what's he say? But the Lord will take me in. The, possibly the worst feeling being forsaken by the ones who never should forsake you, being left out by the ones who are charged by God to care for you, and the Lord will take you in. The Lord will take you in. Your father and mother might forsake you. Your spouse or your child might leave you, but the Lord will protect you, and he will hold you closer than any earthly love. He will tenderly and fatherly love you with a love that nothing, not you and nothing in the world, can take away. 
he will take you in. And then just think of other psalms that speak of the Lord's beauty. Psalm 16 starts by saying, I have no good apart from you. Why? Well, because in verse 11, he says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are all pleasures forevermore. Psalm 84, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 36, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delight. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. That's who he is. He is the refuge. This is, not, this is just a drop in the ocean of his beauty of what he is and who he is. But what we see is that the Lord is the apathetic's joy giver. He's the heart's delighter. He's the needy's helper. He's the helpless saver, the weary's comforter, the slave's redeemer, and the orphan's father. That's who God is. That's his beauty on full display, what he does in protecting, redeeming, and holding his people near to him. That's his beauty. That's what David wants us to see. That's what David himself wants to behold because that is the most beautiful of all creation. And friends, that beauty, the beauty of God, of who he is, is not David just saying something or saying, I hope you can want this too, but we can see it. We can see it when we look upon Christ because this is who Jesus is. He is the beauty of God. He gives joy and rejoicing as the great reconciler in Romans 5.11. He delights our hearts by pouring God's love into them through the Spirit, Romans 5.5. 5. He saves the helpless, making us, those who are dead in our trespasses, alive with him, Ephesians 2.5. He comforts the weary and heavy laden, calling them to himself to give their souls rest Matthew 11, he redeems those who were once slaves to sin and makes them heirs of God, giving, them to, giving to them the inheritance of God and making them servants of righteousness. Romans 6, he brings the orphan and he makes the orphan a child of God. John 1, he is the beauty of God. All the beauty of God is contained and seen in the face of Christ. All the beauty of the Lord is seen in him, the image of God, where the glory and the light of God shines. So friends, here's your application. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. See his wondrous works. Look at his matchless beauty. Turn your eyes upon Jesus to the hillside where justice and mercy embraced to the morning and see Christ the lion awake, to the heavens, our king will return for his own. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, beautiful, matchless face. And the things of earth, the circumstances we face, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Friends, Behold your king. 
behold him. This is the heart of this psalm. This is the heart of waiting for the Lord. It's not sitting around. We can think of waiting for the Lord as this passive thing, just sitting around, not doing anything, waiting for someone else to do something. It is sitting and waiting in awe. It is waiting with worship. Look at verse five, verse six. Now my head, now, as if something changed, nothing changes, but he says, my head will be lifted up and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy and I'll sing and I'll make melody to the Lord. He sees the beauty of the Lord. He's like, I'm going to worship him. That's what waiting on the Lord is. He's so beautiful. The only response is for our hearts to overflow with praise to our beautiful king. Waiting on the Lord is not passive. It's awe. It's worship. It's longing. It's desire for the Lord and his beauty. We live, as Pastor Dan referenced earlier, in a world full of false beauty and heart distractions. It's all it is around us. Our affections confuse what is fleeting for the eternal. We seek to see that which is dying and that which leads to death. And when we're suffering especially, we seek just a desire in the changes in the temporal, what's right before us to get to a new season. David here, though, models and invites us to join him in reorienting our hearts, being reminded of the beauty of our king and gazing upon him, his truly lovely, beautiful, good, and satisfying face. So ask yourself, honestly, friend, what is your greatest desire? And I encourage you, as you consider, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And to you who are weary, who are cold or feel apathetic, I just, he's he's beautiful. If that's you this morning, remember that he is not cold. He is not apathetic. He does not forsake you. He does not cast you off. He takes you in. He never lets his children go. He never lets his fingers loose. He never forsakes, no matter what your mind might want you to say, no matter how cold your heart might feel, your God will not forsake you. Remember his beauty. And when through the deep waters he calls you to go, even though the rivers of sorrows, they might be high, and they might be threatening to overflow, he says, for I will be with thee. His presence is with you. I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Friends, as we wait for the Lord, we can desire the beauty, the matchless beauty of the Lord, and find great peace, comfort, and joy in every circumstance. All right. So I said at the beginning, the first two points are going to be long. We're in the third point, so we're going to go really fast to get done. We're not. It's a shorter point. Third point. 
To wait on the Lord, a help to wait on the Lord, is to follow the way of the Lord. Follow the way of the Lord. Look back at verses 11 to 12 with me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. In these verses, for the first time, we come to the more explicit situation that David faces. He writes in verse 12, false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. It's probably not an uncommon situation for David. He's king. Kings usually don't have a lot of friends. But what they're doing is they're tarnishing his reputation, or at least they're trying to. They're causing tensions between he and his family, he and his friends, spreading lies, causing people to question his integrity, causing people to question his motives, question the truth of his word. I don't know if I can really trust this guy. Did you hear what they said about him? That's what's happening all around him. They're breathing out violence. They also want to hurt him in what they're saying. So again, back to our question. This is you. How would you react? I think my knee-jerk reaction would be a defense, a quick defense. Like, that is not true. But is that how David reacts? Is vengeance or even vindication his prayer this time. No. No, he prays, teach me your way. Lead me on a level path. Give me not up to my adversaries. In this case, last week we did see he prayed vindicate me, but in this case, deliverance is perseverance for David. It's perseverance in following the Lord. Last week, like I said, we did hear him cry out, oh Lord, vindicate me. I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. And now, David's asking the Lord to help him do that. He's saying, help me walk with integrity. Help me walk without wavering. So in times of suffering, having lies and slander spread about you, it's not the time to lash out. It's not the time to think that you solve the problem or set the record straight. It's time to follow the Lord faithfully and quietly. It's time to ask for him to preserve you, conforming you to the image of his son in these moments, to press on as your savior himself did. Like these words, David's using them, but they perfectly describe Christ. Jesus is the ultimate one whose adversaries gave false witness about him, who breathed out violence against him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He did not seek vengeance or immediate vindication. He submitted to the will of the Father and followed the way of the Lord before him. And so, as we follow David's example and our Savior himself, we pray, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. As we wait for the Lord, a help in waiting for the Lord is to follow the way of our Lord.
So, in the midst of suffering, I hope we've seen, we can wait for the Lord. Something that was never said is toughen up. Something that was never said was do better. Something that is never said is look inward and figure it out and you can get after if you just know what you're supposed to do. I don't even know if someone would say that, but it sounds silly and it sounds real. But nothing like that is said in this psalm of someone who is in the worst circumstances. All that we have seen shows us the complete otherwise. It shows us that our true stronghold is in our Lord who has overcome. It shows us that true beauty and the true answer is to see and be in the presence of the most beautiful God. And that the true path forward is the one in which the Lord guides you by his hand as he has called you. And so now, we close the psalm with David saying, verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We end with the simple instruction, wait for the Lord. You can wait for the Lord. As we began, we noted, this is not what we're prone to. This is not natural. Patience is a discipline. I think David knows that. I think he knows it because the words he says between his commands. Right between him, he says, be strong and let your heart take courage. Those are the same words that Moses said to Joshua before he enters the promised land. That God says to Joshua three times in Joshua 1 before he goes in to the promised land to do a task that he cannot do, that he cannot do on his own. The point is, David's recalling the fact that wait for the Lord is not something easy. It's not even something possible by our own will, but it's not a message of toughen up. It's a message of wait for the one whom is your stronghold, whom is your desire, and whom will lead you home. Believe, believe that he, you shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what it means to wait for the Lord. One author pointed out, I'll end with this real quick. One author pointed out, um, C.S. Lewis has this description of being in a potter's shed. Um, it's a dark shed, and there's a small crack. And through that crack is a light beam, illuminating just one small little spot in the shed. So he's in this really dark shed, one small light coming through. And if he just looked at what the light went on, he would know nothing of where he is. He would know nothing of what he's to do and know nothing of anything outside of the shed. But if he stares up the beam to the sun from which the light comes from, he would have confidence in the strength of that light coming in. He would have confidence that it is truly bathing the landscape all around. And he would have confidence that it's not just a small little glimmer in the darkness, but this little darkness is a small little shed in the vastness of the light outside. That is waiting for the Lord. It's staring up that beam of light back to the sun to know, oh, there's confidence. It's not that my life is not this dark shed. What is real is what's outside and it's bathed in the goodness and light of the Lord. And it's just this small moment in which I am in. That is waiting for the Lord. That is what David believes, verse 13. He believes the Lord will deliver him. He believes that the Lord will work 
that the Lord is in control, that the Lord will work all things for his good, that the Lord will carry him through the deep waters, the burning fire in the valley of darkness. He believes in not in himself, but upon his God, his stronghold, his most beautiful one, and his guide along the way. And Christian, we can too. Our Savior is our stronghold. Our Savior is the pinnacle of the beauty of God. And our Savior will never leave us and never forsake us and is with us all the way home. We can wait for the Lord on this firm foundation. We can wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we read this psalm this morning and we, we acknowledge that it does not describe us, but it gives us hope because it points us to our need for our Savior, our stronghold, the beautiful one, and our guide. Father, we pray that you help us too to cry out, wait for the Lord. I believe I will see his goodness. Father, help us to hold firm to the truths and the promises of your word, to carry us through, to know that there is no shaking of our stronghold, to know that the most beautiful and lovely is our Savior, and to know that the path we are on, we are not on alone. Father, we pray to see you and to see your beauty. May you do that through your word. May you encourage our hearts and pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.